Live right here on 1049 The Horn, 512 Friday. That's when Jack plays jams from local bands and artists uh, that you have a chance to see live right here in the ATX. Who are we jamming right now, Jack? I'm afraid of butchering the, the name, but oh, it's right. Kaza U X or oh. Kaza Ux. It's C A Z A Y O U X. You can find out yourself if you go to Pershing Hall and ask them tonight. I love that. Yeah, don't worry. We butcher names all the time. But we just apologize. We apologize after. early, though. Yeah, because it's definitely not intentional. <laughs> Great groove to it, though, however yeah. you say it. No, it, I will say that uh, it, it took a different turn than I thought it would from the intro of the song. It kicked in. Yeah. So, uh, kicked in and got funky. I like that. Yeah, exactly. Got a little funk in there. Uh, okay, so 512 Friday, that's what it's all about. Um, also, Harsh Knock Life coming up in about 24 or 5 minutes or so. Yep. What you got for the people? I'm going to talk a little bit about this baseball game that happened last night. I told you it was going to be an epic battle, especially with the pitching staffs, and that's exactly what we got. We got a great finish to a great baseball game last night. All right, nice. Um, okay, so we'll get into some uh, College World Series discussion. You did say it would be a pitcher's duel. I don't like pitcher's duels. I know you don't. You like to see the action, but here's the thing. Going back to your point of what you were saying about Rob Manford, when you had a great pitcher's mm. duel, the game was moving rather rapidly. Oh, so no, you fast. could pay attention to it that's true. and keep that interest where you could. It, it was happening between picks. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? That's how fast it was. Yeah, no, you're right. How long was the game? How quick was the game? The game was actually two hours and 58 minutes, and they went to oh. extra innings. Damn. That's what I'm saying. Wow. Yeah, okay. they went 11, okay. 11 innings. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. Still uh, didn't even make it to three hours. Still didn't make it to three hours. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. That's so that's just fantastic. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll get to that coming up in Hard to Knock Life. Uh, I want to get to this uh, story. Uh, and uh, this is from uh, the 33rds. Mark Tressman, actually a former NFL head coach. And he's writing a piece, former NFL writing a piece for uh, this website. And in the website, they're basically critiquing and he's evaluating Quinn Ewers. Mm-hmm. The title is Texas Quinn Ewers displays big upside with work to be done. So I was like, all right, you know, let me go check out this article and see exactly uh, what he's critiquing about Quinn Ewers' skill set and see if it aligns with what we've seen and stuff that we've brought up about Quinn Ewers' skill set and some of the uh, improvements that need to be made in order for him to take his game to the next level. So uh, one of the things he points out um, that I that thought was interesting, I'm not going to go through every little detail here. Um, he says, while I saw evidence of yours getting through progressions, he was typically only asked to read half the field while in the pocket. Uh-huh. Um, which is interesting because I do believe that Sark kept the, the reads to a minimum in his progressions. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't have, uh, you know, multiple progressions, um, but it did seem like at times there were predetermined throws 
It did seem like, I'm not saying a lot of them, but it did seem like sometimes in some of the concepts, and by the way, all offenses have these, so I'm not just being critical of, of Sark being it, but it's like sometimes there are predetermined throws regardless of what the defense was doing or right. what, the, you know, what the coverage was, that it was already determined, hey, you're going here. To simplify form. I was just about to say to the simplified yes, most the simplified form. form. And <laughs> yeah. I do believe that Quinn Ewers was pretty much – uh, at his best when he was a two-read quarterback. Like basically going through, it, it's kind of a two-read progression for the most part. That would align with kind of what he's saying is that they kind of cut half the field off. That it was kind of a two-read progression. If you can make him get past the second read, mm-hmm. trouble. That's when that's when you can get him in trouble. And it got more difficult for him later on in the season, and this aligns too, because the three games that he watched, I believe, were Washington. He actually Iowa, He actually watched five. He watched Alabama, Five. Oklahoma, yeah. Iowa State, Baylor, and Washington. Washington. Uh, yeah, so and Washington was a great game for him to watch because he, he played great in that game. He played great in the, in the Oklahoma, Oklahoma game Oklahoma and game. the Bama game, yep. actually. Yep. Um, but the difference between that and – I'm glad he watched the Iowa State game, too, in the Baylor game. The difference between that and later on in the season, later on in the season, uh, teams stopped playing so much man coverage against Texas mm-hmm. – um, they figured out that X Man was going to be the deep threat and the featured guy, so he was worthy—no pun intended—of you double teaming <laughs> nice. him frequently because oh, he's going to be the deep threat and he's the feature receiver. And Sark goes to both his deep threats and his feature receivers a lot. Yes, he does. So you can kind of take him out of the equation and also try to try to implement pre-snap disguise with Quinn Ewers because Alabama didn't do a lot of that. Right, Alabama played man to man, and they were like, "Let's see if this golden arm of Quinn Ewers is actually as good as they hype it up to be." It was, it lit him up yep. for a quarter, and then yeah. he got hurt, and yep. then we all know how that worked out. And then when teams started playing more zone against Quinn Ewers because he hasn't played a lot of football, he couldn't decipher the zone coverages very well. He just hadn't had a lot of reps mm-hmm. at deciphering those zone coverage, especially the three high safety coverages, which, by the way, Sark struggles with schematically, and then Quinn struggles to decipher. That's the best way to kind of counteract what Texas is doing. So it does align Agreed. kind of with what some of the, the film that I've watched, Arch. Right, right. And that's, that was some of the things that you and I have been mm-hmm. talking out, talking about prior to all this information mm-hmm. that were coming out. But you and I have been saying – I was like, dude, I don't think he sees any parts of the field after the first or second read. It's, it, 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 you can just see it, but going back to what you said about how Sark was designing certain plays for a two-play read to make sure that he got the ball out of his hand and making it get it to the playmakers or try to, and then when they went to the zone, it made it very difficult for him. But mm-hmm. I was thinking that long before he even took his first snaps. Because I had been talking to some people that were saying, hey, I don't know how well he's going to see the field immediately. And let's not forget, that was last year was the first year that he actually played football in like three years. Exactly. So for him, the game has changed and the speed and the tempo and everything else that was involved in it. But for him, it was probably moving very fast because he wasn't used to being back at that. Yeah, drinking through a fire hose. Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah. And that's why I think, you know, the conversation that we've heard so far is there has been a huge adjustment in what he sees, how he's seeing the game, and what he's done to get himself better. Yep. So that's the jump that everybody's waiting for. Uh, no question. And, I, you know, I, I think we'll, we will see that jump. And if we don't see that jump, then we'll see it from Malik.
Yep. One of those quarterbacks is <laughs> going to take the jump. jump. <laughs> Somebody taking that jump. All right. <laughs> like crisscross. Jump. Jump. <laughs> uh, all right. So back to the uh, the article here from Mark Tressman, the former head coach, talking about uh, basically evaluating Quinn Ewers. He also, and he's evaluating the scheme a little bit, too, which yep. I think is pretty I interesting. I like that. Uh, he talks about what separates Texas passing game from most other college offenses is Sarkeesian's use of six, seven, and even eight-man protections. As an offensive coordinator, the ability to understand and vary protections during a game is a top priority. He said these heavier protection schemes opposed to typical five-man protections allow quarterbacks to take deeper dropbacks and throw to deeper and more established routes. That is part of his Sark likes. I would say he's a big game hunter. Like, so mm-hmm. He kind of lines up what I've talked about. He's a big game hunter. He don't even he don't like small game. He should try to implement more small game and more medium game. But no, man, he wants the big game. He going he don't want no quail. No, right, he ain't dove hunting. <laughs> nah, man, he out there looking for some big game, and we've seen him sometimes too, honestly, to his disadvantage. Yeah, he'll hunt that big game down the field, but he needs his quarterbacks does hurt need, him from time to exactly, time. Exactly, his quarterbacks need time for those routes to develop. That's why he keeps a lot of his, you know, six, seven, and even eight man protections. That's why he likes the six O line package too. He takes a lot of shots downfield with his six O line package because yep. he he feels like he's got more secure protection for the quarterback. Yeah, and that's why we always talk about he needs those long developing plays. That's why he keeps those guys in because if you don't have enough to stay in and block, those plays aren't going to develop the way that you expect them to. But to to me, this year, well, going back to last year and what we saw on film, do you think a lot of Quinn's, because we talked about the footwork, but do you, do you attest a lot of his struggles in certain games to the fact mm. that it was just one and two reads and he didn't have mm. a chance to scan the entire field? No, I think Sark was doing what's right. Sark knows quarterbacks. Yeah. I think yeah. Sark was bringing him along slowly. Yeah. He's already trying to, it's already tough for him because he hasn't played a lot of football, hadn't had the reps, and I think Sark understood. Let's bring him along slowly. It may not be the best thing right now um, for the for the overall offense, for the for the ideal Sark offense, for this offense to reach its ceiling. Yeah. Um, but for him ultimately to come closer to reaching his ceiling, this is the path. The this is the path. Yeah. <laughs> this is the way, as they would say on the Mandalorian. And he, you have to bring him along slowly. And that's part of the reason why even after he had his worst game, which was probably Oklahoma State, yep. he didn't bench him. He didn't. He didn't bench him during the game. Didn't bench him out. He's like, nope, this is the guy. And I think part of that is he knows, hey, man, I am part of the reason you're seeing him struggle, too. Because right. of the, That's fair. the way that I That's want fair. to develop him. Yeah. And I think Sark's, you know, he's patient with that. And I'm, I'm glad he is because Sark knows his quarterbacks. And Yeah, and he definitely believes in him. <laughs> yes, he does. Again, he feels like this is my team. This is where I need to be now. And another year in the system <laughs> and another <laughs> year playing football – I expect to see a humongous jump, which he wasn't that bad last year, but I ex- I expect to see him take a huge jump this year. Yeah. Um he he okay, and this is this is also uh, part of the article here and I like I said I I love it cuz this is something that we've talked about a ton. He said I did not see quick answer hot options in the five games I watched when protections could not handle a plus 1. Um, defender. It was up to yours to make a play in those few instances. Um, and he basically points out that you were struggled to make a play uh, when they tried when he blitzed a plus one, mm-hmm. and he didn't have a lot of hot quick answers. And what do I always say? Quick game, 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 quick game. And Sark doesn't have enough of that quick game. Or you need a ton of that in uh, kind of fused in and baked into the offense. And Sark oftentimes he will he will work backwards. 
um, with the passing game. Like he'll start throwing the deep stuff early. Hopefully, it kind of psychologically plant seeds of fear in the defense, soften them up, uh, back them up, make them less aggressive, yep. get them on their heels, and then he'll start working in the quick game, working in the the intermediate game. And I think he needs to f- switch that. I think he needs to start with the quick game, start with the intermediate game, and then work his way to the deep ball. And I know for him, that's not the way he likes to operate, but I think it would help his young quarterback get in a rhythm and get in a groove. And I think that even is what Mark Trestman's talking about here. Yep. Um, he's talking about he didn't notice many, you know, see many quick answer hot options. And that's why teams later on decided, all right, you know what? We got to come after Quinn. Yep. Um, and if we can come after him before he can try to get to that, that second progression and we can take away the first one, then he'll panic. Yep. And then if he panics, then they don't have any, any other built in fail safes. Exactly. Exactly. I do like the fact that what he said at the very end of the article too that I was I was totally impressed with the way he thinks because this is something that you and I have been talking about for since Quinn was named the starting quarterback from the spring mm-hmm. game his ceiling is so high that if he can figure it out if he can figure it out and take care of the football the sky is the limit we talked about it earlier mm-hmm. Texas is only going to go as far, for right now I'm yeah. just saying for right now, yeah. as as good as Quinn is going to be, will be the the answer for the University of Texas's football team this year. Period. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. if, if if and even if you do make the change, I think <laughs> that something. I think Malik has a lot of potential. Obviously, we we don't know what Arch is, but we assume that Arch is going to be what we expect him to be. But no matter what, if this team's success hinges on how well Quinn Ewers plays. Uh, I, I even read a stat the other day. 60% of all NFL pass attempts are th- three-step drops or fewer. That's quick game officially. So more yep. than half the pass game in the NFL is quick game. Sark has a West Coast pro-style passing yes, game. Yes, he does. Um, hell, I mean, that's the NFL in a nutshell. Sark is actually kind of going the other way because he wants to take shots downfield. And I get it, and I think he will connect on more of those. But last year, man, you were one of the worst teams in the Big 12 on deep Accuracy, deep ball accuracy. Quinn Ewers completed 23% of his deep balls. Uh, Hudson Card completed a little bit over the 34% of his deep balls, which is probably closer to what the average is, or a little bit below average. But still, as a team, you were pretty bad with yep. the deep ball overall uh, for Texas. Um, so I, I think Sark needs to, like I said, he needs to work. Uh, d- operate differently instead of trying to throw the deep ball early. Get your quarterback confident and in the rhythm. Uh, the other thing he mentions here, he talks about the footwork a little bit. He says mechanically, Ewers sometimes shows disciplined footwork from the shotgun on his three- and five-step drops. On these occasions, he has strong athletic base and a short-step transfer of weight from his back foot to his front foot toward his target before following through with a smooth release. Um, he says with nimble footwork and fluid hips, Ewers is capable of looking like a prototypical NFL pocket passer with elite mechanics it can it can be easy to get excited because the ball appears to explode out of viewer's right hand while he can drive the ball when needed he also instinctively and easily changes ball speeds and trajectories mm-hmm. throwing a very catchable ball uh to all widths and depths of the field so basically talking about his touch and he does have great touch he also uh, ends that with saying that said these flashes are too far and few between Overall, yeah. yours is inconsistent, which primarily stems from his free willing mechanics. On short and deep <laughs> passes, there are poorly located th- 
throws littered throughout his tape and passes thrown out of bounds where he doesn't give his intended receiver a chance to make a play. Even on some of his completions, Ewers has placement and accuracy issues preventing receivers from maximizing the run after catch. And we all know because of Sark's run to daylight philosophy, mm-hmm. he's a big yak guy. He wants a yak daddy. Constantly and, moving. Yes. Uh, and he wants his receivers on the move, catching the ball on the move. Uh, and if Ewers is inaccurate, um, kind of throws off the rhythm of the offense. And that is something that we've talked about. And I've, I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. I, I've yet to see him let one go and try to rip it into a spot. I haven't seen him get to that back leg, plant it, and just absolutely hose a football. I haven't seen it. And that's probably not who he is as far as that guy that can take that one step and just really fire it in there. But he is that guy that can throw to a space. He does have good touch on the deep ball, even though there were some, a lot of miscommunications and misses on some of them. When he does hit it, 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 it's a beautiful, beautiful pass. And that is something that I'm thinking that this year they've been working extra hard on hitting that deep pass. Because what do you always mm-hmm. say, Rod? Gotta have that deep ball, baby. You gotta have it. Gotta have it. Uh, he also said, uh, within the pocket, Ewers has natural ability to slide or step up and find quiet areas behind his protection to deliver. He inherently senses and escapes pressure with relative ease and is a dangerous playmaker with his arm outside of the pocket, despite having only sufficient athleticism while on the move. Ewers will show good eye discipline and resourceful playmaking, mm-hmm. sometimes leading to excellent it factor plays. Um, but he also goes on to criticize his r- lack of running plays. It also has some concerns about his running ability to periodically extend plays with his legs when things break down because I saw little of it. Mm-hmm. Ewers has not shown the ability to be a legitimate rushing threat running um, for very few yards and extending few plays. He did it later on. and Hard, you kept saying it too. He was like, yep. run more. Yes. Just run more. You kept saying you should run more. He did run a little bit more. Yeah, and and, and, and again, yeah, I know he's not that. In, in yeah. the Baylor game, I believe it was. Yeah, I know he's not known for his legs, but mm. keeping drives alive, making sure that people just can't think that they can bring somebody in and not get burned by you rushing for 10 yards and keeping the the drive alive, I think that's something that you need to do. There's going to be some breakdowns. There's going to be some times where you do need to tuck it and run. There's times where you can get outside and pump fake and get some extra yards. We saw Vince Young do that millions of times. We saw previous quarterbacks before uh, play whoever played the position do that. I'm just saying – Get yourself more time. Be mobile in the pocket and then make them have to change the way that they're playing their defense because now you can get back to your one-on-ones. You can get back up to that matchup. So that's what I'm waiting to see. Um, And, yeah, he also – he also went on here. Mark Trestman went on to say, Quiris has a unique and impressive ability to vary his arm slot, but he often does so unnecessarily. Yep, that can lead to inaccuracy and misses <laughs> on easy throws. It almost <laughs> feels like this is unintentional. Like he releases the ball with whatever delivery he feels is natural at the time. Sometimes he looks like a second baseman mm-hmm. trying to turn a double play. The problem is he'll do this even when he is free in the pocket and has the space to step up and complete a fundamentally sound throwing motion. Additionally, U.S. carries uh, carriage of the ball in the pocket is often too low and outside his frame, which costs time in his delivery and is a ball security violation and can lead to inaccurate throws. Um, but he went on to say, to end the article, um, when evaluating his poise and mental capabilities, yours appears advanced for a 20-year-old, but he still makes many mistakes a typical young signal caller would make. 
As a decision maker, Ewers can quickly process and immediately get the ball out of his hands, though his decisions can be careless at times. Still, his quick processing ability will serve him well in the future. Um, he said he was also impressed with his poise under pressure and ability to read coverages and flashes of high-level anticipatory throws. Um, so he did say you know, that he basically has all the it, the the um, raw materials, I should say, to be an elite quarterback. Yeah, He says if viewers can remedy his mechanical inconsistencies, he will become a more accurate and efficient passer, as quick-minded as he is and able to get the ball out from undisciplined positions, simply improving his staging and being more intentional with his arm slot unquestionably will lead to enhanced accuracy and placement. Yep. Yep. Those are all the things that you and I have been talking about the entire season. So our evaluations are right there because Mark Tressman has done a great job. I thought that was pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all the things that we pay attention to and, and, you know, we talk a lot of football here, rightfully so. You start looking at certain things and the quarterback position is one that everybody evaluates no matter what. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the microscope. So when he goes out there and he can play at that level and he's got his footwork working, I don't think there will be that many people that are going to be better than him this in the country. But if he goes out there and, and reverts back to those things, the second baseman throws that we were talking about, and I said that earlier. I'm like, why is this dude over here flipping the ball like he's playing shortstop? Like, <laughs> what, what, what is he doing? And he called him a second baseman, so mm-hmm. middle infielder. But I'm excited for what the expectations of Quinn Ewers is going to be this year because I believe this is going to be a very – very exciting year, and he may put up some numbers that we're not used to seeing here. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and you know, if he doesn't, I I have faith that you know Sark will make the right move, and yep. you got yep. a very capable quarterback behind him in mm-hmm. Malik Murphy. Yep. If there's an injury that happens, or for some reason um, Quinn doesn't live up to the expectations, which no, no. I think that he will. Um, okay, uh, there's actually quarterback rankings that I want to get to, so we'll table that for the six o'clock. We can get into that, and there are some uh, coach, some Big Twelve coaching pressure rankings that I want to get to. So we'll like talk that. some more college football coming up in the six o'clock. Uh, but what you got coming up for the people on Hard Knock? We're gonna recap the College World Series game last night uh, between Wake Forest, who was the number one team in the nation, and LSU, who had been the number one team in the nation for quite some time. It was an epic battle that was played in extra innings under three hours, Rod. Mm-hmm. Under three hours. Yeah, pitcher's duel. Yep. Um, usually don't like those, but uh, <laughs> this one was for, for it all. Yep. Uh, so we'll talk about that coming up with my man Hardball right next uh, on Ball Don't Lie, wonderful on the horn. Ladies and gentlemen, guys and dolls, the main event of the evening for your entertainment and pleasure. Mike, you have to be so combative. Yeah, I probably wouldn't say this in front of white folks. But in front of y'all, I'm going to speak my mind. He has emotional anger issue problem. Hey, are you Dirty Mike and the boys? I'm Mike Lowry. Michael! Oh, that's funny. Michael! Welcome back to a 512 edition of Ball Don't Lie. That's where my man Jack plays music for local artists where you're going to be able to see them in the city this weekend. So make sure you check that out. But it's your boy Hardball Hard. You can follow me on Twitter at Hardball Hard. You can follow my man Rob Babers at Rob Babers, and you can also follow my man Jack, at Jack A. Farrell, like Colin, not like Will, Farrell on Twitter, so make sure you check him out. And he hung one. Did he get it? Did he get it? Yes, he did! 
and that is how last night ended. It's an unbelievable matchup. We were talking about it before we went off the air yesterday. You got the two of the best pitchers in college baseball going right at each other. You have Paul Skeens and Rhett uh, Louder pitching their hearts out. Every pitch, every play was so, so important throughout the game. And this was a do-or-die matchup. This was, you're going to get ready to go and play for a national championship, and your season is over, and you get to go home. So this was an epic battle. Every pitch was high, high leverage, high intense pitching. And Paul Skeens, while we were watching the game before we left, I said, Rod, check out how he's pitching. And you were like, he's throwing 100 on the black. He was throwing 100 miles an hour on the corner. And then he would back it up with an 88 to uh, 87 mile an hour slide piece on the corner. He had a good change up. If he needed to run his fastball in, he was able to do so. It was one of the things that I was most anticipated to watch because we all know that those are grown men that are out there in Skeens and Louder. And the 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 fact that all of these hitters knew what they were going to be facing. Mm-hmm. They knew what was coming up. And taking a fastball on a corner coming at you at 100 miles an hour and then him coming back with an 88-mile-an-hour off-speed pitch, it was something that if you were a hitter – all you could do is tip your cap to him. You got yourself ready to go, but sometimes it's just not in the cards right. for you. For real. Uh, Paul Skeens threw 120 pitches last night. 82 of them were for strikes. That's crazy. Yeah. Louder, wow. he threw um, – where did it go? Oh, he threw 88 pitches. 63 of them were for strikes. So, as a hitter, this is how you approach this. We're not getting walks. So be ready to attack the strike zone. Mm-hmm. Find yourself something that you can hit. Try to get yourself approached. Skeens only had two hits. Louder only gave up three hits. Uh, Louder had six strikeouts in two walks. Paul Skeens had nine strikeouts in one walk. This was the game that we thought we were going to see. And we talked about this. Dylan Cruz is probably going to be the number one mm-hmm. or number two draft pick. Paul Skeens will probably be the number one through five draft pick. Uh, this is a guy that is going to have a lot of opportunities later in life. Dylan Cruz, the the um, uber-talented center fielder, he had two hits last night. He got on base last night with a hit. Mm. And Tommy Tanks come up, Tommy and he Tanks. hits the ball a ton. And he finally connected on one because he, too, was having a tough time, tough series throughout, but he was moved up in the number two hole, made it happen. And Trey Morgan made the play of the game on the sacri- on the squeeze play, first baseman. And I had a buddy of mine who I had talked to about Trey Morgan a long time ago because don't forget, they started the season in the Carbach Classic here in Round Rock, and I got a chance to be around this team, got a chance to spend some time with Jay Johnson, got some time with uh, Paul Skeens. But I was asking people about Trey Morgan. Trey Morgan played a little bit of the outfield this year, but he is a gold-gloved caliber first baseman, and we saw him make the play at first base Mm -hmm. on the bunt, came home, made a clean uh, pick, and made a strong throw to home play, just flipping it. I mean, it was was one of those bang-bang plays. Everything had to be perfect on the offensive end, but it also had to be perfect on the defensive end to make that play. So it was a great play at home play. So I was really – 
really excited to watch that game and watch the way it unfolded. But I do want to say this. Tommy uh, White played third base for North Carolina State last year. Paul Skeens played for Air Force Academy. You got a chance to see him here. Mm-hmm. Thatcher Hurd, the pitcher that came in and pitched after um, uh, Paul Skeens, came from somewhere else. The transfer portal giveth and it taketh away. But what it did just giveth a chance for you to play for a national championship. So going back to the conversation that we've had for the last week and a half, Rod, where we were talking about where does Texas baseball fit in the NIL realm? It's the Mm -hmm. 10th, right? At LSU, it's near the top. Yeah, And this is what happens when you donate to the Texas One Fund. You can go out and you can compete with these types of teams to get these types of players. Everybody wants to win championships, but what is the price that you're willing to pay, (laughs) Mm -hmm. literally pay for an opportunity to get there? This is huge, and this is a huge part of why Coach Johnson said in his post-game interview, if you want to play for championships, this is where you need to be. You need to look at – you need to look at LSU. And that's the funniest part about it. He's, he, and this is the quote. Lastly, as I look to my left, if you're one of the best players in the transfer portal, there's only one place to come. And he said it with a smile. Last summer, I spent a lot of time with these men. and I think they would tell you they made the right choices. I want to join forces with them if they were out there. Hmm. So, and I know a lot of people are like, I can't believe he just said that on national TV. Listen, this is always recruiting. What do we always say about Mac Brown? When Mac Brown was talking about that national championship, who mm-hmm. was he talking to? The mamas and the daddies and the coaches in the state of Texas. Yep. This is your championship. This is your national championship. So thank you. And what does that <laughs> happen? Kept recruiting. Kept mm-hmm. on recruiting. And that is what my man Jay Johnson is doing right now. He's always recruiting, and there's a lot of players that are in that transfer portal. We've gone through it before. Oh, yeah. I think there's over 3,000 again that have been jumping in that portal. Mitchell Daly just got it. Uh, he just went to uh, Kentucky. He announced today that he's going to Kentucky. He just left Texas, and he's already committed to Kentucky. So the transfer portal is out there. It is used. Uh, some people love it. Some people hate it. But this was a good work by uh, Jay Johnson. Now they still got to go beat Florida. They still got to go beat Florida. By the way, this is a all-SEC championship again. Mm-hmm. And remember last year, Ole Miss won. Mississippi State run a couple years ago. Yep. LSU is looking to try to win this again um, for the first time, I think, since 2017 maybe. And this is Jay Johnson's first time of possibly getting to uh, to win a national championship. So for everybody – that's always questioning the NIL. This is the reason why the NIL is so important. So TexasOneFund.org. Make sure you remember that. <laughs> TexasOneFund.org. For sure. And lastly, I want to leave you all with this. Um, I had an opportunity to play against Tory Hunter. I got an opportunity to be around Tory Hunter just recently at a buddy's birthday party, and we had some conversation. Nice. He was on the pivot the other day with uh, Ryan Clark, Crowder, and uh, uh, Fred Taylor. And I don't know if everybody remembers this, but at one point 
during the All-Star game with Barry Bonds, and I forget what year it was, but I have it for you, so hold on. He played 19 seasons, but in the Midsummer's Classic, he remembered it was in Milwaukee. He robbed Barry Bonds of a home run, and it was one of the most celebrated plays. He came into the infield. Barry Bonds picked him up like, man, why'd you rob my home run? And that's when Barry was right at the peak of Barry where he was chasing home run records. Mm. But there's a story that why that happened and why the situation was so important for Torrey Hunter, and I want y'all to take a listen to it. This is him with Ryan Clark on The Pivot. The fielding is easy for you. Yeah. What was it? O two Bonds hits the ball in the All Star yeah. game. You go first off, dog. Don't nobody do that in the All Star game. Oh yeah, See, you know. like dude, you don't you don't rob Barry Bonds in the All Star game. You want to know the true story behind that? <laughs> 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 so one day, uh, the day before that, uh, we were at the Fister Hotel in Milwaukee, and you know I think Barry was walking in, in the front, and my brothers were walking coming off the elevator. He was going on the elevator, so they was path, crossing paths. And my brother was like, what's up, Barry? How you doing? And I think he kind of went like this, right? And my, my brother, I told you, he's a true gangster at the time. <laughs> and he had all his friends with him. They, they wanted to jump him. <laughs> they wanted to jump Barry. And I'm like, no, nah, no. Nah. And then Barry's wife came over to calm the, the group down. And, and uh, I think uh, A-Rod came over, saw the situation, bought them drinks or whatever. And, uh, and they told me about the situation. So I'm hot, you know, I'm pissed off. Right. And then I'm in center field the next day and they said, now I'm batting Barry Bonds. Right. And uh, Derek Lowe is on the mound. And I'm like, if he hit this ball out here, I'm trying to get it. Right. <laughs> when he hit it off the Derek Lowe, he hit the ball crack. And I was like, I started running. I said, oh, that's gone. <laughs> I ain't going to be able to get that one. And then all of a sudden it went, started blowing back. I'm like, oh, I might have a chance. So I went up. I'm telling you, I jumped with all my might just to rob that thing. And then I caught it, you know, and I came down and Ichiro right next to me and he said, holy sh, you know, I'm like, oh my God, I didn't know you spoke English like that. <laughs> right, I'm running, you can see me saying nice, nice, I'm running off, I'm like, nice, bro, I never knew you could do that, right? And then I'm, I'm running in and I see Barry, he was waiting on me, I'm like, man, come on, right? And uh, so I'm running towards him and then he went low, you know, he gave me a high five and I went high. And then he went low, and I was going like, you know, you ain't finna pick me up. And then he picked me up with ease. I was like, oh, shit, this dude's strong. <laughs> I said, oh. <laughs> so that's the reason that's why he went to rob Barry Bonds fantastic. of his home run, because that's he tried awesome. to big league his brothers, Damn. and his brothers almost jumped on Barry Bonds at the All-Star <laughs> game at the hotel. Wow. Un. Believable. So I just wanted to leave y'all with that because I remember when it happened and I thought it was one of the most amazing plays in an all-star game. That's great. But now you hear the backstory of it, that really makes it even more so for him making that play in center field. Wow. That is a, that's a fantastic story. <laughs> that's wild right there, man. Yeah. That was good stuff right there. I love yeah. it. Um, all right, we come back. Uh, that's a nice harsh knock life there. We come back. We'll get into – the billionaire cage match. We said we all wanted to see uh, possibly Elon Musk and Zuckerberg go at it. And now Dana White, who is the best <laughs> promoter in the world for combat sports, has decided 
He wants to make this happen. We'll hear from Dana White. He says it's a real possibility, and he won't show money. We'll come right back on Ball Don't Lie, wonderful nine horn. D.D. Megadoodoo, I'm sorry, Mangudu. Once it's turned on, the sign will spell out Delhi Cat Essen. Well, well, I don't get it. I break my head cold. Well, congratulations. Continue good sex in, the, good sex in the Big East. Thank you, Jimmy. And boom goes the dynamite. It's time for another edition of Off the Record. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. And thing sucks. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. Time for another edition of Off the Record. Uh, Yesterday, uh, we spoke about the Twitter beef between uh, two of the richest men in the world. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the creator of Facebook, and Elon Musk, who, well, I think he's actually kind of a central Texan. At times, anyway, hangs out here in Central Texas. Um, but the creator of Tesla and among other things, they started beefing on Twitter and started essentially calling each other out over their each other's martial arts acumen and which one of them could win a cage match. This is real. So Dana White, who knows both men really well. I guess so. I mean, he's got Mark Zuckerberg in his phone. I guess he's got, <laughs> you know, Elon Musk in his phone. Must be nice. Um, he's well, He was speaking to the TMZ crew, TMZ sports crew, about the beef between Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, who are now claiming they are both down for a celebrity cage match of some sort. Here is Dana White. Well, just to, just to give some clarification. So what he said is, Mark Zuckerberg responded with, send me location, which is something that Habib Nurmagomedov says when people challenge him. So that, that was what send me location meant. And uh, I was talking to both Elon and uh, Mark last night. Both guys are absolutely dead serious about this. Now, wait, wait, wait. Can we, can, uh, how I, do you, you, tell us why you say that. Because they both said, yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> they both want to do it. Mark Zuckerberg hit me up first and said, is he serious? And I said, I don't know. Let me ask him. I asked him, and he said, Yeah, I'm dead serious. You know, um, you know, obviously for for and I agree with you, Harvey. This would be the biggest fight ever in the history of the world. Um, bigger than anything that's ever been done. It would break all pay-per-view records. These guys would raise, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for charity. And, uh, you know, you don't have to be a fight fan to be interested in this fight. You, you Everybody would want to see it. I said it yesterday. I told you I said it would be one of the most watched combat events in the history of sports entertainment. Dana White, the <laughs> who is the, you know, the UFC uh, CEO, he's also telling you, no, no, it wouldn't be one of the biggest fights in combat sports history. It would be the biggest fight in combat sports history. I think he's right. I think we'd all pay for it. There is a tone right now out there uh, of this kind of uh, collective disdain and hatred for people with wealth, a lot of wealth. This this could cater to that crowd. It'll Mm -hmm. cater to the masses who just love celebrity boxing and love kind of anything celebrity related, which is most of us. We know celebrity boxing has taken off in recent years. Hell, now Jake Paul 
who considers himself to be like a social influencer, he claims he's making $10 million a fight from mm. celebrity exhibition boxing matches. We know they're making a ton of money off her because Floyd Mayweather doesn't do anything but yes. exhibition fights now. I think there's a thirst for that, too. Honestly, I don't know how serious they are about it. Harge, I think it may get my money. They I, might get my money. It's getting mine. Come on. I'm in. I'm in Make with it you. happen. I, I'm trying to figure out why we still talking about it. <laughs> Book it. Let's not talk about it. Be about it, Dana. You're supposed to be the new uh, you the new Don King. He Make it happen, it. man. He's Got to check on the charities. Let's see what money they're actually giving towards. They should get all of it to charity. All they should, it. but they're... I want to make sure Elon's got the right charities locked down. You know, I want to make sure that money's going to a good place because otherwise, I'm going to you know, get the eye patch, get the peg leg if you you catch my drift. No, I, I feel you, but yeah, I mean, it should be easy enough to find charities. There are plenty of chari- uh, charitable organizations that need the, the hundreds of millions of dollars this is going to generate. So hopefully, you're right, Jack, that's that's not even something that will hold it up. Um, my question would be, because this is going to be the biggest, one of the biggest boxing matches in history, it's going to be easy to create an awesome undercard. Yeah. And there are no real rules to the undercard because it's celebrity boxing. It's like a celebrity exhibition match. So we'll get some Buddy Mayweather on there. Um, you could get help. Mike Tyson did one of these with Roy Jones. Yes, Remember? he did. How about this? Just so you know how sick we are and how much we love like um, seeing these like celebrity exhibition boxing matches. Roy Jones and Mike Tyson had an uh, exhibition boxing match, and it was terrible, by the way. It was horrible. It got 1.6 million pay-per-view buys. That put it among the top 10 most <laughs> watched and most bought combat sporting events in history. Mm, mm, mm. Think about that. People are still clamoring for those guys to I'm come out you. there and do it. Exactly. But this so, will make it even more so, so. Yeah, so put some of those guys on the on the card, all right? Put some celebrities on there, too, and let's get this damn thing done, and you will get Rod. Robbie never pays for these fights. I will pay for it. You you got me. You convinced me. You got me. Come on Take down. my money. Yep. Take my money. I'm in. And let me see these egotistical, narcissistic billionaires try to knock each other out. Yes. I'm I all think for it. For part of the punishment, whoever is currently in charge of Ocean Gate, those two guys should have to fight each other, and that should be on this card as well. Uh, <laughs> the ones that are not dead? Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the ones that have stayed on land, <laughs> yeah, those are the right. ones that got to do it. You're right. Yeah, put, hey, put them on the deck. That's part this of the is, settlement. This is about, yeah, this is about collective hatred and trying to you know, find some way to maximize and monetize it. Uh, this is, I'm telling you, I, if they make it happen, I'm in. I think we'd all be in. I wonder how many, I mean, what the pay-per-view buys. They would break all the records. No doubt. I believe the biggest record is Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao, 4.6 million pay-per-view buys. They, they, they destroy that. Oh, no doubt. They would double that. And I'm all in on it. Oh, I'm please. all in on it. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, okay, this, this is the question. So and I'll pose it to the spec sex on you guys, too. So who do you want to see on the celebrity, uh, celebrity MMA fight because it could be MMA fighting. Somebody says it's not just boxing. It could be MMA because they're jiu-jitsu guys. Yep, yep. They're into the they're martial arts. They're going to take you down. So they said cage match. So who else do you want to see on the undercard of the celebrity MMA cage match that is happening between Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk? And it could be damn near anybody. I mean, you can go WWE on this Somebody scene, just sent us one. Boxing. They said Peyton versus Brady. Oh, that's <laughs> Yes. That's hey, the kind of injury we need right there. But but you can't go after Peyton. Peyton got a neck injury. 
He ain't gonna be able to go out there and do uh, that, man. Right He's already that. on the injury. Hey, his get, medical might be bad. We gotta get Brady. <laughs> we gotta get Brady somebody else. Yeah, because the, yeah. the, the boxing commission's not gonna. And they're not. They're not gonna. They're not gonna wager that. on that. They're not gonna approve that. Yep. All right. So and I like it though, Brady, because Brady might do it. We gotta find somebody else to fight Brady though. We do have to get somebody. Can else. Drew Brees fight Brady? Can you go Brees versus Brady? Is that sexy enough for you? Uh, or do you need Peyton Manning versus I, I Brady? I think they're in different height classes too. So is Elon Musk and Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg's like five eight. Yeah. Elon Musk is like what six two, six something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and oh, Kanye yeah. and Pete Davidson. Oh yes, <laughs> Kanye would definitely do it. That's what I'm talking about, people. Yeah. Kanye would definitely, do it. and we all want to see Kanye get punched in the face. This is about who you want to see get punched in the face. Scotty and Michael Jordan's son. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. That's yeah. what we need. All right, we'll come back. Spec sex line wide open. Five one two three three seven three seven seven six. Who do you want to see on the undercard of the celebrity cage match between Zuckerberg celebrity and Elon Musk? Oh, it's going to be awesome, man. They charge whatever. I mean, right now, yeah. I am willing to pay 100 bucks. Yeah. I'm willing I'm willing to admit to y'all I'm going to pay. Usually, I wouldn't admit something like that. I'm willing to admit I would pay $100. He could make it more than that, and I probably would have to go in on it with Harch. You would have to. Have to <laughs> yeah, you. Like, hey, just come to my house. Yeah. We good. I'll spend it with you, yeah, man. Yeah, we good. I'll bring the Wayne. <laughs> there we go. All right, uh, we'll come back. We'll address that and also uh, review the NBA draft. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie, wonderful, not knowing.